You're listening to Thrive, your agency resource, the only podcast of its kind for creative, media, and technology leaders who are ready to dive deeper into consciousness, leadership, and agency growth. I'm your host, Kelly Campbell. This year, Thrive is brought to you by E2M Solutions, a trusted white label partner to hundreds of digital agencies across the globe. Visit e2msolutions.com forward slash thrive today. Welcome back to another episode of Thrive. I'm so glad you could join us. Today, I'm actually joined by Adrian Kaler, founding partner at the executive coaching firm Take New Ground, where he works with executives and entrepreneurs to achieve unprecedented results and also experience fulfillment in their work. Great mm-hmm. combination. It's what yeah. we all want. Might as well. Uh, Adrian is also the host of the Naked Leadership Podcast. So if you haven't checked that out, please go and subscribe there as well. Adrian, thank you so much for joining me today on Thrive. Yeah, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Yeah, you got it. So listen, it seems like you have a very, very interesting background. I was pretty fascinated. Everything from ministry and spirituality to medicine. I think you used to work as a nurse in a children's hospital. It seems to me that you really understand the art and the science, like the delicate balance of those two things as it relates to self-leadership as an individual. So why is self-leadership so important in your opinion? Yeah, we'll see how I do. Like, do I have a handle on this? Let's just see. Let's explore it all. Why is self-leadership important? Well, what if we don't have that, then what else do we have? Which is my, would my first question. And if I don't have self-leadership, then I usually have a life that's just happening. It's happening and other people are running my show or circumstances are running my show or my own history is running my show. Because when I say self, I would speak of, I mean, there's multiple selves. Like I, I do have tons of historical selves and there was a different version of Adrian that was wearing scrubs and going into the ICU in Chicago. There's a different Adrian that was like in the ocean, baptizing a whole bunch of people. Is it, you know, and there's the Adrian today and all the nuances of today. There's the Adrian that's coming up a year from now, 10 years from now. Those are all different selves. The only one that we have governance over is the one that's right here, right now. So if I'm going to be myself, I might as well lead myself. If I want, if, if it's kind of the, I guess to the second point, we all search for agency because agency has this feeling of freedom and vitality in it. Yet it's laden with personal responsibility. Because if I take agency over something and just decide that I'm in the driver's seat, with that comes, I made this decision, I'm making these choices. So I would prefer that, although it's a yin and yang, because I can't hide like my own motives or I can't hide from how clear I am about my history, not only like what happened, because we know that like what happened actually doesn't affect you, what you make up about what happened and the significance of that and what it means. And was it tragic or was it an advantage or was it both? And there's opportunity usually for both. So I'd just rather focus on self-leadership because that gives me the biggest opportunity to go get what I want out of life. And that's both from a, I was going to say stuff perspective, I don't even think, but like for, from an achievement perspective, but then what's most important to us, which is a meaning perspective, which is why we talk really clearly and upfront with leaders around generating meaning at work, not just results. Right. So I just think it's the best shot to have the life you want is just to decide that, oh, if I don't get to lead other people or if I definitely might want to control, but don't get to control other people, I do get to lead myself. Mm-hmm. Can we ever lead without our ego? And if so, do we want to? Probably not. It might be a counterintuitive answer. 
Um, well, it depends on what people mean by ego. So I could ask you what you mean. What do you mean by ego? Let's just do that real quick. I mean, the egoic part of me that runs the show back to your point before. Okay. That's, that's running the show and creating the narratives and sort of getting in my way. Yeah. And we, I think people naturally have, I mean, egos become like a curse word. Yeah. And so like ego is the enemy or whatever, Brian Holiday. But here's my thought, our thoughts on this. And I usually speak for us just because we we're baked and take new ground. We're baked in a lot of similar philosophy. And the, the philosophy that we focus on is phenomenology, like the study of becoming. So friends of Adler, friends of, of Jung and Kierkegaard and Hegel and Heidegger, that world. So our view is this, is that, you know, there is ego and it's just a natural baked into us. We don't get a vote on that. It's welcome to human evolution over time. The brain's number one desire, number one priority is to survive. Like it wants to keep the spacesuit alive, keep Adrian alive, number one. Number two is to save energy so that if I need to survive later, I can. So if that's true, then these we talk about survival needs. Survival needs being look good, feel good, be right, be in control. I assert no one can escape these. Now, because they're just in there, they're, they have been true. We don't see a piece of human literature that these aren't front and center early. I come from studying the Judeo-Christian texts and we know the first, I mean, two pages into the first story, let's just call it a metaphor, a metaphor about the first two human beings. They were already blaming each other and blaming some outside negative source and then went after the benevolent being in the garden and all that shit. It didn't take too long for it to become a blame contest, which is where, you know, obviously ego shows up. So anyway, human beings from the beginning of time, even when we started talking about what it's like to be human, like in all the old texts, it's there. So to answer your question, that's why I say no, we don't get to escape the deep desires and temptations to play not to lose, which is survival. I get to decide first off, how aware I am of these conversations, these pulls, these tensions. How aware am I of like what's going on like on a Wednesday afternoon? What's happening for me? And how much am I in this survival conversation? And do I want to see it when I am? Number one. Number two is then if I can see it, then I, this is going to be so damn cheesy, then I don't have to be it, right? It's like this idea, like if I can see it and get some objectivity from it, and I can notice the conversation I'm in, all becoming shows up like a conversation, shows up like thoughts, shows up like feelings, which are, we call feelings, thoughts trapped in the body, things looking for language. So if I can see those things, then I can, in my mind, metaphorically, I turn the volume down on those things, because I see that and I notice you, thank you very much, looking good conversation, I notice you, no thanks, I don't need you in this convo, thank you. Instead, if I'm at conflict with somebody else, them, let me care about them, let me listen instead of defend. Let me ask a question. Let me see if I can understand their concerns and their needs before I do what my ego wants to do, which is to slap them around and be right in my own eyes and have control and all those types of things. So we can overcome it, but we can't escape it. There was a point earlier in the show that you talked about history, emotional history, past history. Yes. What, and this is, you know, obviously all of my work, but what role do you believe childhood trauma plays in a leader's ability to regulate their emotions or not? I don't think there's any blanket answer to that. So it'll play the role they want it to play. Now I'm weird. You, everybody's listening. Isn't this might be very counter cultural to this podcast. I end up leaning way towards personal responsibility, not because we ought to blame people and shame people, which is why most people, when most people talk about responsibility, they talk about blame. I'm not into a blame conversation. 
the world has plenty of shame in it. We don't need to keep participating in that. There's, if I can find where I'm being responsible or making a contribution to what's going on, if I can find that out, then I've got more power. And when I mean power, I mean vitality, really. And I can choose, make choices. So, so your question is, how much does your childhood trauma affect leaders on a daily basis? Well, if it's unexplored and if it's unowned, then it's going to be who they are now because they keep living in reaction to that. Like when I say playing not to lose, like if I got betrayed by my mother when I was five and she left and was a maniac, I'm going to like be in a boardroom meeting and be really skeptical of that woman. Why? Because I don't trust women. And therefore, like I've not seen what's there and what now what happened. I said this earlier, what happened versus what I make up about what happened. That's where the gold is, because we know that memory isn't accurate. We know that something happened. That's a data point. And then but we live in interpretations of that moment via our perspective, the significance of the impact of that in that moment and our perspective on that, what other people think, what other people, you know, in our comparison, it's like very multi-layered about what happened. What happened is actually a series of conversations about it. People usually, they don't have the space or the time. They haven't created the space or the time to go in the most resourceful way, do forensics on even the thing I say really wrecked my life to do it responsibly. I mean, there's a, a ton of phenomenal therapists out there. Therapy can be really impactful. It's impacted me in several ways. It can also be a situation in which people utilize therapy in order to double down on how hard their life is. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's really sneaky. I'm meaning it's like covert. Like it's not like a, obviously a stated priority, mm -hmm. but they actually are in the conversation. And some therapists, not all therapists are just there to, they'll call it support the patient. But there's not enough of even Socratically challenging someone's perspective. I would say that it's their perspective on the situation that's causing them trauma. Yeah. And what that's they've made up about that and the future that they believe based on that and how usually how limited it must be. Yeah. Based on that. I think about that as the difference between like a therapist and a trauma informed coach, right? Uh -huh. Like it's just a very different, it's very different inquiry. Yes. You know? So. Yes. Yeah. I often warn my clients in that way because I'm of all the, there's lots of different types of coaches out there. And, sure. it, you know, as you kind of get into it and I've been in it 15 years and have just decided what I'm about and what I'm up to, which I always just warn my folks because I'm not for everybody. I'm like, a, I, I say I'm a shot of whiskey, not a wine spritzer. So get ready. <laughs> you might not like whiskey. And if you don't, great. There's lots of great other types of coaches out there. I'm like the smelling salts version of a coach. <laughs> and and I warn them because we're always really people, humans are typically pretty precious about our stories. Yeah. Yeah. And we say them a certain way because we get a certain response and I stand unresponded to their story. And I just, I, you seem pretty bored when you tell that story. Something like that usually takes them off. Like, I don't know how long you've been telling the story that way. 25 years. Yeah. And I, I like you, I'm sure I love the work of Byron Katie, you know, Byron Katie. So great where she gets people to really give inquiry into these thoughts and beliefs that people live in mm -hmm. and who do they become when they live that story. And then, you know, what would it be like if they were to give up the story? Like that type of inquiry usually opens the floodgates for people. Like yeah. something's possible that they never thought was possible before because they think that I am because it happened, which is a very Freudian view, obviously, like an etiological view. Instead of like, oh, I am because I'm choosing this interpretation. Not that it didn't happen, but that this bad thing, how does it, you know, they don't ask themselves that question. How was this horrible thing an advantage to me now? 
how am I wiser than the guy, next guy walking down the street? Like, how do I have more empathy? Because I've been through a really shitty time. Right. It's like a 180 in shadow work. Same thing, right? Right like on. Looking at it from that whole, what, what did this give me? Right on. You know? Not right that on. it was a positive thing and I'm like super happy that it happened, but like no. it did happen. What have I gained from it that I would have not gained had it not happened? Right on. I'm curious. Do you think that a, a leader's role is ever as a healer of other people? I think for me, it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I coach uh, primarily spend all my time with, with founders of companies and they definitely don't sign up for that role. I mean, for the most part, I, I haven't met a, I, I think through all my roster of clients or people I've worked with and I'm like, Hey, you know, that's on your job descriptions for you to be a healer. They would be like, that's not, no, these guys work for me. Right. You know, I'm not here to, I guess it depends so, on what your definition of healer is. Right. Yeah. I mean, most of my conversation with founders or team leaders is there's usually we get to some point in the convo where we're talking about really what they're getting, what, what's happening for them at work mm-hmm. and what does it take, especially what's it take to keep amazing people? What's it take to keep amazing talent? And my answer to that always is, is that people believe when people come to work, they believe I'm becoming the person I want to be here. And I want to become that with these people on this mission together. Mm-hmm. That's what keeps people. That's what generates loyalty. And it's like, oh, wow, I, I like who I am here and I'm seen, I'm understood. And if those things are happening, people are being healed. They might not call it that. They might feel like they might say the word safe. They might say the word seen. They might say the word empowered or appreciated. But that is like, that's healing for folks. It's restorative for people. It's regenerative for them. It's to help re- reconstitute ourselves. Like if I had a shitty boss before and then you as a leader, you're actually listening to them more, giving them a voice, uh, challenging them more, believing in them more. Mm-hmm. Than the than the person before them. That that's a healing thing. So, people want to be healers for a couple of reasons. One is we all want the healing. Like I want to be seen, understood, respected, challenged, the best brought out in me, mm-hmm. and therefore we got to go give that to other people. And it's just the most effective leadership style where people you actually treat people as humans and not tools. Oh my god, so. mind blowing stuff. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is why I say leadership is a healing journey, right? Because it's not just us that we're healing by, by healing ourselves, self, self-leading and healing ourselves. Yes. We are helping other people to heal, even though we don't use that terminology, just right. like we use the word love in business for yes. whatever reason, but it belongs yes. there. It does. Yeah. 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 I say that all the time uh, when I'm with clients or like if I'm, uh, you know, even at an offsite or something, give somebody a hug and tell, Hey, I love you, man. Yeah. Like they get all freaked out about it. I was like, I get it. But it, you know, you're not going to stop me from loving you. You might feel weird about it and not, it might not be. But I don't feel weird about it. But I don't feel weird about it. I actually just want the, you know, love for me is wanting what they want. Yeah. I want them to get what they want. That's love and that's advocacy. Hey, let's take a quick break. Did you know that there's a better way to scale your agency? Whether it's web design, development, e-commerce, content, SEO, or even hosting. E2M is the reliable white label partner you wish you knew about years ago. Personally, I'm proud to partner with E2M because of our alignment in values and ethics. Head over to e2msolutions.com forward slash thrive to learn more. Now, let's get back to the show. You also host a podcast that I talked about at the top of the show called Naked Leadership. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, we've been at it for maybe four years now or something like that. So on the podcast, me and my business partner, Dan Takini, Dan's one of a kind type guy, founding partner with me, 
I hired Dan 20 years ago. I was uh, running a foundation and we were searching for what to do in the foundation. We ended up wanting to do some work in the prison system. The guy who gave all the money wanted to, to oh. give a second chance to people who have really blown it. Okay. And simultaneously, a friend of mine had gone through this personal development training called the Revenant Process. And I'd gone to that the last day where you celebrate them and all that and kind of go out to support. And somebody said, oh, hey, you're doing prison stuff. Dan does prison stuff. So immediately I met with him and thought, oh, man, this guy, I've never met a guy like this before and hired him right away. And we worked in prison with murderers, all lifers, and then trained them to be trainers. So we went and did a training and then trained them to be trainers. And so even today in Soledad State Prison, there are murderers putting on personal responsibility trainings with other murderers, which okay. is breathtaking. We just had one of them come to one of our trainings and just tell the story about how much what a couple of those conversations changed his whole life. He got yeah. out on parole right after that. But Dan Tacchini, I joke, he's if Tony Soprano and Mother Teresa and Yoda had a baby, that's <laughs> Dan Tacchini. So very loving, extremely wise. But uh, if he needs to, he'll take out the baseball bat. He's an amazing fellow. So he and I co-host it together. You know, we're the conversation piece. And then Chad Brown on our team, he's the host of the official host of the show. Mm -hmm. The Why we call it the Naked Leadership Podcast? If you're going to lead well, it, it must be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You know, you can go do what like stupid business books say. And like, here's the five point plan to do blah, blah, blah. And you can go do that if you want, but you're not going to be very fulfilled and people are not going to follow you very long. Right. They, they, I mean, they might follow you in the sunny days, but when the rain comes, they want authenticity. Yeah. So naked leadership, because most people are really convinced it is and it must be lonely at the top. And we say that's bullshit. It's lonely at the top because I've created my life that way and I'm not being honest enough with people close to me. And maybe you can't say X, Y, Z to your senior team or X, Y, Z to your investors or your board. Yes, you must be selective, but you don't have to be lonely. Lonely is the experience that follows usually very strategic isolation. So. Most of us, especially high performers and everybody we work with are really smart people, very ambitious, and they're used to having all their shit together. They're used to having all the answers, but there's no real answers in leadership. You think you got an answer on Tuesday, here comes Wednesday, and it's going to get a whole new set, a whole new approach. So people live out of this insecurity, which is natural, and they aren't that great at certain things. And for most of our clients, it's the relational side of things. They're really brilliant, best ideas, really ambitious, most drive working with people is very vulnerable. Like trusting other people is very vulnerable. So we talk about the hidden conversations, the ones that people only have to themselves. That's really the, the push of the podcast is to get to how do I need to think about this and what do I need to contend with inside myself mm -hmm. so that I can self-leadership or we call it self-mastery so I can be in this honest conversation with myself about what's wanted and needed from me and how I need to show up, which might be very different in my 10 o'clock meeting than my nine o'clock meeting. And to go speak your truth or something, which we find very romantic these days, I mean, go for it. But that's not the highest level of performance. You know, highest level of showing up is to be connected to the context of who you're dealing with, what's wanted and needed. And I can not be a chameleon, but I can shift myself to meet the moment, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. So in Naked Leadership, we just talk about that, the real human people side of venture, of it, of doing an, an endeavor together. That's the word I'm looking for. We've just added in because we got this feedback from our clients. They said, you guys show the pregame and the postgame on your podcast, but that's not what's like special about you guys. And what's special is like on the field in real time. So we've just started releasing live coaching calls. That's cool. So we'll have We'll take on people and say, hey, if you want to like, you can do it anonymously if you want to, chicken. You can do it anonymously if you want to. 
or you can come in in real time. We'll just do a real coaching call live so people can see the conversation that unfolds and see yeah. what to be thinking about that they're not thinking about and what a courageous conversation looks like. So we're starting to add in different types of conversations. So if you want to show, hop on over to Naked Leadership Podcast. We yeah. care a lot about it. It's really fun. I love that. It's almost like it makes me think of where do we begin with Esther Perel? Yeah, it's like right. you're, you're kind of like fly on the wall during one of the therapy sessions. Yes, of that. I love Esther. Something that you said before, as you were talking about the podcast, got me curious. This whole, you know, it's lonely at the top, but it's really not because you've just created it that way. Do you yeah. think that that isolation is also a form of trauma response? I mean, it might be. I mean, when you say trauma response, what do you mean? Well, I mean, like I learned that in order to do things independently. I have to do it myself, right? Because I learned in childhood or during my upbringing that like I cannot rely on other people. So if I'm doing that, I'm, I'm replaying that same thing out as an entrepreneur. Like I wrote an article in Entrepreneur Magazine, is entrepreneurship a trauma response, right? And so that sort of triggered the thought of lonely at the top, in isolation, also kind of being on par with just being an entrepreneur, because I think that's sort of on par for what a lot of people think about when they think about entrepreneurship. It's like, sure. I've got to do it alone. It's just me. I'm, I'm independent. I want it that way. I don't want to have business partners. I almost feel like you, you're recreating the conditions that are just yes. kind of like confirmation bias. Right? right on. I'd probably call it a trauma reaction versus a response because uh -huh. I think it's not that conscious. Right. And if it is conscious, it's really well justified, which like you alluded to, it's like, you know, it's just easier. Yeah. But they don't really think about the prices and the payoffs for those choices. You know, so it's not like a mature response in the sense that like, okay, let me really think through this and at least fully own it. Like, yes, I am running from something. I am playing not to lose and I don't want to get taken advantage of again. So I'm just going to go out alone. I'm going to keep complaining about it. Like I have to be doing it, right? Because that's part of the victim stance, uh, which I think most people's responses to their own trauma, not everyone, but most people's responses to their own trauma is a very victimized response. Sure, like it, it happened. Right on. And some of that, of course, people are actually victimized, like as a child or something like that, think people get. But our relationship to it is where we end up doubling down, I think, to your point, where they just end up creating a life that kind of fits that very comfortable yet unsatisfying attitude or that mindset. Mm -hmm. And so that's why until they come across you or somebody in our field where it's like, hey, does you think it has to be this way? And like, just let's get clear about that the fact that like, it's not what happened when you're six, it's really what you've made up about and how sure you are about what happened when you're six. And let's just play that out over the next 30 years. And do you really want that? Or do you at least want to stand like something else is possible? Not like there's an answer or not like you have to shift your, can you at least take the first move of faith, which requires an openness that something new is possible for me, but all those possibilities naturally show up as threats immediately. Because we have to like leave the land we know and in the land we've trained other people to behave a certain way. Like we're always training people how to be with us. Right. So if we have to like leave that and at least stand there for a minute, I mean, we've got this training coming up called the Revenant Process end of October in Hawaii. And we do these three or four times a year. It's a deep dive. We're all around self-mastery. So it's like the only, it's not the only thing. There's a couple of things that for public trainings that people can come to that aren't like one-on-one -on -one clients of ours or, or we don't work with our companies. Anybody can come to these. And that's a real a deep theme of the whole training, which is what am I standing for? Despite all the evidence of the way the world is, the way I am, and usually that's code for my history, what happened to me, all that 
what am I standing for now? How much am I willing to claim that's disconnected? Like we use the word unprecedented, which is a little bit of a buzzword, I guess, but unprecedented, like it's new. It's something that my history doesn't tell me is possible. Am I willing to stand in that moment of faith? If I do that, I'm going to need a lot more help than I want. Like top performers like yourself, like myself, I, I, this is a mantra I say to myself all the time. I need more help than I want. I need, okay, good. What help do I need today instead of what help do I want today? Because I usually don't want any. <laughs> you know, leave me alone. I'll be fine on my own. But that's a smaller day. That's a smaller life. That's not like a less resourceful meeting than if I'm opening up and letting other people really fully participate. This is the most fun conversation. <laughs> yeah. We should keep it going. I love it. Well, we unfortunately, we are out of time, but the links to the Naked Leadership Podcast, all of that will definitely be in the show notes. Adrian, awesome. thank you so much, so much, so much. Kelly, thanks for your work. Thanks for being here. And thank you for joining us. If you liked this episode, please rate the show or subscribe wherever you watch or listen. And a big thank you to the official sponsor of Thrive for this year, E2M Solutions, your white label agency partner. Learn more about their approach, services, and subscription plans at e2msolutions.com forward slash thrive.